looking at another Old Testament story today. Uh, we're going to be looking at another character and allowing God to speak to us through his word. So if you have your Bibles, it will come up on screen, but we are going to be looking at Daniel today. So start trying to find Daniel in your Bibles. We're going to be reading chapter 1. I think it's helpful just before we read it actually to just to remember sometimes when we read Old Testament uh, narrative that rather than telling us exactly what we should and should not be doing often it will show us through the lives of the character what we should be doing or maybe how we should not be living by what the character does but we're going to be looking at Daniel and seeing what we can uh, draw out what God's going to say to us so we'll read through chapter one In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
Okay, so that is Daniel chapter 1. You've probably picked up from listening through, from reading that, that this chapter is all about the importance of eating vegetables, right? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. No, that would be too challenging. We're going to stay clear from the vegetables. Uh, Actually, when we read this chapter, we see a guy, Daniel, who is showing us how it is possible to live in a society honoring God with your actions, despite being surrounded by a bunch of people who don't know God. Uh, He shows us how to handle compromising situations, and there's some clues in there about how he makes his decisions and how he responds to the things. Uh, So we're going to have a look today and try and draw out some principles and things and see what God could be speaking to us today about how we make decisions. But just a bit of background. So Daniel has come from Judah, which is a part of Israel, and he is part of God's chosen people. But up to Daniel, just before Daniel, we read that the people of God have been consistently and repeatedly rebelling against God, rejecting him. No, we don't need you, God. We're fine on our own. Until we get to Daniel and we read uh, at the beginning that God allows Judah to be uh, besieged by Babylon and then to be taken over and some of them exiled over to Babylon which would not have been a good situation. So Babylon, the Babylonians, they were, they were the baddies. They were uh, pretty awful in what they did. Uh, and in fact, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was like the Hitler of the ancient world. He just went around tearing it up, taking over nations, doing loads of crazy bad stuff. Uh, when it gets to Judah... He loots the temple, takes a bunch of their treasures and exiles, uh, as we read, the, the best of the best from Judah and takes them to Babylon in order to weaken Judah, weaken that nation, but also to strengthen Babylon. So Daniel finds himself with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, he finds himself a foreigner in a different land, a different culture, completely in the minority uh, and effectively... Babylon are trying to brainwash him. They're trying to just make him into a Babylonian. We read in verse 5 that he's put on this three-year intensive course where they're just kind of cramming him full of the Babylonian literature and language. And he's in a culture where there is no fear of God. In fact, there's not really any understanding of who the, the, the true God is. So how is Daniel going to react? Because effectively, he's got a choice. He can either kind of put God to the side, forget about God entirely, and live it up in Babylon, party with the Babylonians, or he can work out, how do I live out my faith? How do I work out being a God follower in this culture that is not following God, that has no respect for God? Because he faced massive pressures to compromise in loads of different situations. So if we look at some of the, the situations that Daniel faced, or the, cho- the choices that he had to make, he was given a new job description. So he's given a new job, job description where he was to enter the king's service. So this is King Nebuchadnezzar who had taken him away from his homeland and his family, and uh, he was to go and serve this king away from his homeland. He was uh, to to learn all the new literature. So in verses 3 and 4, we read that Ashpenaz, who's the chief official, he has to teach 
Daniel and the others, the language and literature of the Babylonians. And within that, there probably would have been a whole bunch of shady things that weren't necessarily right for Daniel to take part in. So the Babylonians, they were well into their astrology and divination and other arts that perhaps were a bit weird, but Daniel had to take, uh, had to learn the literature. So he was faced with that, the, uh, the new job, the learning the literature. And in verse 7, we read that Daniel is given a new name as well. He becomes, he is now named, not Daniel, but he's now named Belteshazzar. That's a good name there for some future kiddies, possibly. Belteshazzar, uh, popular. It's going to be the new, new craze. It's not going to be the new craze, is it? Belteshazzar, uh, which um, this isn't just a kind of uh, a, a small change of name. Daniel to Belteshazzar. What's interesting is that Daniel, the meaning of that means God is my judge. So it's linked to Israel's God. God is my judge. Whereas Belteshazzar, we read later on in Daniel, in Daniel 4 verse 8, it says that Belteshazzar is actually the name of one of the Babylonian gods. Okay, so this name change that's taken place, it's not a small insignificant change like Puff Daddy to P Diddy. It's not like that. It's, it's not oil of Ule to oil of Ole. It's not an insignificant change. Actually, this is a deliberate attempt of the Babylonians to mock Daniel in his face and to kind of try and, again, to bring him into the Babylonian culture. You're not to worship that God anymore. You're to worship our God. But what's interesting, again, is that, okay, he changes his job. He he has to learn all this literature. He gets given a new name. And in Daniel 1, there is no reference, there's no record anywhere of him resisting this kind of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a part of that. There's no, no record of that. But when it comes to the food that he's to drink, verse 8, this is the key verse, I think, of the whole chapter. Key, uh, verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made a strong decision not to conform on this point. He could have compromised, it would have been easy. He could have said, ah, oh, do you know what, let's just eat all of the king's food. But actually he decided at this point, no, I'm going to make a decision here because I'm going to honour God. So what was it about the food? Name, fine, literature, all right, king's service, whatever. Food? No. Was he just being fussy? Hmm? Was he just being No, I don't want the king. I'll have my vegetables and my water. Was he just being fussy or was there more to it than that? Why was this his line? Why did he decide here about this? I think there's clues in other parts of the Bible. So if you read back in the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, so Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, it talks about unclean and clean foods. Foods that the people of God shouldn't, shouldn't be eating. So food had to be killed, uh, meat had to be killed, meat, animals, animals had to be killed in a certain way and the blood had to be drained correctly. So perhaps that was why Daniel didn't take part in it because it was food that would have made him unclean. But what's interesting again is if we read back in verse 8, he says uh, he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. 
And there's actually there's no record. There's nothing to suggest that the wine would have defiled Daniel. No, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says that you can't drink wine. So clearly this was more than just a religious decision. It wasn't just, oh, I must do this, I must not do that. Actually, this was a moral decision that Daniel took to honor God. So what led Daniel to that decision? And how does that apply to us? What can we draw from that? I think if we step back and we look at our lives and try and compare it to Daniel, actually, there's quite a lot of similarities there, a lot of comparisons that we can make that uh, we find ourselves, if, if, you're a, if you're a Christian, we find ourselves in this culture more and more in a society that sets itself up against Christians. Believe. Our culture, it has a loud voice. It tries to get everybody to conform with it. You can come under pressure. Maybe uh, you find that your, your beliefs clash with popular worldviews, whether it's your views on sex, on gender, on uh, uh, respecting leaders. Sometimes our, our views can clash with popular worldviews. Maybe you find yourself in situations at school, at work, where you're kind of feeling pressured to act or behave in a certain way, where you're just not quite sure if you should be doing that. We can face questions, that, that things that maybe aren't black and white, uh, aren't clearly right and wrong. Well, actually, how do I respond to this situation? So questions like, can I drink alcohol? Should I hang out with that person who I know hates God? Can I be friends with them? Can I make that person my boyfriend, girlfriend? Is it okay to watch that movie or that TV show, Game of Thrones? Is it okay to uh, join in with the language and things that everyone else is using? Just like Daniel, we are constantly in a battle, surrounded by unbelievers living as they do, where we have to work out, how do I honour God? How do I walk in step with him? How do I live in a way that's going to bring glory to God? Where is the line? What do I do in these different situations? So again, we're going to try and unpack that a little bit. But I'm aware that this is, this is a tough question to answer. I'm not going to try and give you a, you must do this, you must not do that. Actually, this can be quite personal sometimes. What I... What I might feel convicted about that, actually, no, I shouldn't be doing that. You might feel, that's fine, I can do that. Or similarly, there might be things that you feel very strongly about, actually, I can't do that. Whereas I might feel fine with that. So we're going to try and draw out some principles from Daniel and from other parts of the Bible. We're going to uh, look at some points that we can use to help us as we work out our salvation. So first key point then for Daniel. Daniel knew his identity. He was clear on his identity. The Babylonians, as we've seen, they were not being subtle in their attempts to uh, make him into a Babylonian. They weren't being subtle about how they were doing that. He was completely saturated in their culture. And yet even in that, he was very clear that actually, no, I am God follower. This is his identity. And he drew the line at the food and the drink. No, I'm not going to take part in that. So food from the king's table probably would have been sacrificed to the Babylonian gods 
before it came to Daniel and the others to eat. Uh, And so perhaps for Daniel to take part in that, to eat that food, would have been for him to participate in the same idolatry. So change his name, change his language and his culture and give him a new job. But Daniel is not prepared to worship anyone other than the true God. And he makes a a strong resolution that actually I'm not going to be assimilated into the Babylonian culture because he knew who his God was. So this is our starting point. This is, we need to be clear as well what our identity is, who we actually are. Even as we are immersed in a culture not worshipping God, actually who are we? What is our identity? Here's what Jesus says about us. Okay, so in John 17, again, verses should come up, but uh, if not, it's John 17, verses 14 onwards. This is what Jesus says about us. He's praying to God, but he's talking about us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus summarizes, well, to summarize that, what Jesus is saying about us is that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are in it. We are here to take God's message to everybody else. We are here to be the body, uh, to be the church that uh, Jesus has put in place. We are here, but we are not of this world. Our citizenship is not of the UK, rather it is of heaven. That is our identity. If you have, so when we, when we face these challenging questions and situations, actually we need to filter it through the lens of, I am a child of God. If you have put your faith in Christ, what you've said is you've recognized that the world can't save you. The world doesn't own you. You've aligned yourself with the Father who loves you. You recognize that I come to him through what he has done, not through my own efforts. So Daniel was clear on his identity. Uh, For him not to eat that food and the consequences of not eating the king's food, that was actually trivial compared to knowing that he was in Babylon as a representative of God. Same for us. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And that's Daniel's starting point. All the way through, through Daniel, you see that his starting point is his relationship with the Father. So like later on, when uh, the king says, no one must pray to anyone except for me, you must pray to me, Daniel's response is, I must go and talk to God about this. And he goes off and he prays because that's his starting point, his relationship with the Father. If we want to know how God would have us act, let's go talk to God. That's our starting point. So clear on identity. But what other factors could we consider? When we're kind of facing questions like, um, can I perform that activity at work? Is that okay for me to take part in? Can I do martial arts? Can I read that magazine? As we face questions and trying to work out, well, how do we live? How do we respond? What other factors can we take in? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, oh, actually, just before that, can we read another passage? Okay, so this is 1 Corinthians 10. I'm just going to read a few more verses just to uh, give us some ideas and some principles for working out our faith. 
in those difficult situations. So this, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, this is some practical advice Paul gives the Corinthian church as they, as they try to figure out what life as a believer looks like. So I'm going to read some more verses. So verse 23 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So, as we approach questions, just as the Corinthian church had, had figured out, we are free in Christ. What that means is, there is no longer any sin, any actions that you can do that will separate you from the Father. You've been set free from that. Because when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he took the punishment, he took the penalty, we are now free to come before God. There's nothing that we can do. We are free in Christ. Does that mean then that we don't have to worry about the consequences of our actions, that we don't need to consider God's attitude towards sin? Absolutely, of course we do. So, with these issues that aren't black and white, is some more possible things that we can consider that can kind of be a bit confusing. Well, what do I do? How do I respond to that? Should I get a tattoo? Can I go clubbing with my friends? Is it okay to play football on Sunday mornings? As we, well, whatever the issue, and you all have your own things. From Daniel, from the Corinthian passage, I'm going to throw out just some questions, a whole bunch of questions just for you to consider as we try and work out how does God want me to live in this situation? How can I honour God with my actions in response to this activity or, or situation? So here's the first uh, question to consider. Number one, is it permissible? So breaking that down. Does God say in the Bible that we can or can't do that? And is it legal? Okay, so is it permissible? This probably gets rid of a whole bunch of things straight away. We don't have to think too hard about it. So can I murder that person who's being mean to me? Can I cheat on my wife? Actually, hopefully we are clear on what the Bible says. As Christians, we have the Bible. The Bible is our ultimate authority, okay? It's not what people's feelings are. It's not what Facebook says. It's not how we might feel on that particular day or what culture or our society is saying. Actually, it's God speaking to us through Jesus, through his word. So hopefully we're clear on what the, the Bible says. The Bible also says that we need to obey the authorities of the land. Is it permissible? So is it okay when you're driving down 
the Jordan Thorpe Bypass at 60 miles an hour. Everyone knows it should be a 60, it's actually a 40, but when you're driving down at 60 miles an hour and then the police officer pulls you over and says, well, so what do you think you're doing? Is it okay to be like, hey, I'm free in Christ, yeah. Well, actually, you are free in Christ, but you're not free to do that. Where it, is it okay to uh, cheat on your taxes and then if you get caught, go, I'm free in Christ? Or, or, or kids, if, or children, what about this? If your parents, or when they say to you, uh, it's actually your bedtime now, you've got to go to bed, can you say, nah, I'm free in Christ, woo! Actually, yes, if you believe in Jesus, you are free in Christ, but the Bible says you need to honour and respect your parents. So you're not free to do that. Are you defying the Bible? Is it legal? Big question. Question number one, is it permissible? We are God's children, we should be living in the light and not having anything to do with darkness. Okay, second question, along with that, is it beneficial? Okay, you can ask yourselves, okay, I don't quite know what to do here. Well, is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Because there are things that we can do that are acceptable morally, legally, spiritually, but might not be good for us or beneficial. So as an example, I might decide, and there's nothing wrong with this, I might decide I'm going to wear flippers on my feet. From now on, everywhere I go, I'm going to wear flippers on my feet. Legally, fine. Morally, no problem. Spiritually, you can do that. Or I could do that. Is it going to benefit me? Is it going to make me a better footballer? Probably not. Hey, it might do, I don't know. Uh, is it going to help me on my driving lessons? Probably not. So, is it beneficial? Or perhaps, what about smoking? Okay, maybe we put smoking in this bracket, okay. Is it a sin to smoke cigarettes? Actually, the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking cigarettes. Is it going to benefit us or benefit you? Are you hoping to get better health, better breath, better lungs, uh, anything like that? Are you hoping it's going to improve your life in some way? Probably, the pictures and the warnings on the front are probably quite clear on that, that actually it's, it's not going to be beneficial Is it a sin? Are you going to get kicked out of church for being a smoker? No, you're not going to get kicked out of church for being a smoker, but is it beneficial? But we can apply that to all kinds of issues. Third question, is it pointing others to Jesus? So again, let's be clear on our identity and our purpose. We are here to bring glory to God. These Corinthians verses said, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Daniel chose to remain in the system in order to be an influence. And yet, he didn't fully submit to the the system. He he chose his moment uh, to ensure that he was honouring God. And along with that question, question four, is it going to lead me to sin? Okay, so as you're trying to work out your actions, something to consider. Is it going to lead me to sin? pretty obvious one right I guess if your friends are all going out clubbing and you know that they're all going to be drinking getting drunk and um, taking drugs and swearing something to consider okay can I go there if I go there can I be a good witness or is it going to drag me down into that situation okay can I watch that particular movie 
Depends. Is it going to lead you to, are you going to be able to keep your thoughts pure? And for different people, it's going to be different. One person might feel, actually, that's fine. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go be a witness. But for someone else, it might be like, actually, this is an area I know that I'm weak in. I need to be really vigilant over this. Question five, will it cause others to stumble? So Paul said uh, in that Corinthians passage, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So we need to think about others as we make these decisions. Maybe you feel fine to drink alcohol. You've got no problem with that. Is it a good idea to uh, be drinking beers when you're hanging out with your recovering alcoholic friend? Actually, we need to take that into consideration as well. Maybe I might feel fine on occasion to have a cigar. I might feel that's all right for me. But if I'm hanging out with some friends and I know one of them actually is going to feel pressured into joining in in a situation where they might uh, it, to do something that they don't feel comfortable with, actually, that's fine. I can abstain because I care about their walk with God. And sixth question, last one. What does your conscience say? So God has also given us a conscience. We've got the external witness of the Bible to help us know how to live, but we've also got to guide us. So if you're you're saying, well, I can't find anything in the Bible, I don't know if I should do it or shouldn't do it, well, ask your conscience. Check your conscience, what does it say? Some of you, you might... You might not drink because even though you are free in Christ to drink, your conscience says that you shouldn't be doing that. Some of you won't eat certain foods. Maybe you're vegetarians. Uh, Even though God gives you freedom to eat that food, maybe your conscience doesn't permit you to do so. Some of you might watch certain movies. Others perhaps don't. Or maybe you listen to certain kinds of music that other people don't listen to. In certain situations, actually... You're all correct. You're all fine on that because you're abiding by your conscience and what the Bible says. We need to kind of let the Holy Spirit guide us in some of these decisions because they get really tricky sometimes. So just as for Daniel, his conviction was that he shouldn't eat uh, eat the food and shouldn't drink the wine, our conscience... We've got to, we've got to honour that. It says in Romans that you are condemned if you go against what your conscience tells you to be right. So I know I've kind of rattled through some questions there, but they're just to kind of help us think about, well, how can I, how should I behave in this particular situation? How can I honour God in the way that I live? And coming back to Daniel, okay, Daniel verse 8, it says, Daniel um, resolved not to defile himself in that way. He made that strong decision not to do that. And actually, the rest of that chapter is almost irrelevant, almost irrelevant. Daniel has decided, I am going to honor God in this. I'm going to take a stand here. Actually, what happens next isn't really in his control. Daniel has done great. But actually, the rest is a little bit irrelevant. But if we do read forward, what we see is an incredibly faithful God. 
An incredibly faithful God. So Daniel, he has to overcome a bit of opposition. He's, he's made his decision. He has to overcome a bit of opposition. That uh, First of all, the chief official, when Daniel says, I don't want to eat this food, I don't want to drink this, this, uh, this wine, the chief official says, actually, I'm going to get in trouble if you don't, so I'm not really okay with you doing that. So then Daniel goes to the guard and he says, okay, just test me. Test, test us for 10 days and let's see. Uh, and then... And then Treat us in accordance with what you see. He has to press through a little bit. He puts his faith in God. And what happens? In verse 15, back to Daniel, it says, At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Daniel placed his faith in God. And what happens? God totally rocks up and, and uh, proves that he is faithful. And that's the, that's the final point, really, is that this story is not so much about Daniel. Daniel does brilliant. He does great. He shows us that it is possible to honor God and bring glory to God through actions and through choices in a society that doesn't honor God. But this is actually a story about God's faithfulness. God raises up Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He places them in positions of authority, but not for their, not for their glory, but for God's. By the end of chapter 4, even Nebuchadnezzar is worshipping and praising God. God's kind of developed their character, uh, started off with food, it becomes dealing with lions. They've had to make choices. God's developed them. But actually, it's a story just about God's faithfulness. And what I kind of pray for, for us, for, for you guys, is that we've all got decisions and choices to make, but actually that we would be responding to God because we want to see God glorified and God honored in the choices and the decisions that we make. We want to be his church. We want to be pointing other people to. So I think we'll pray and we will probably respond to that in a bit. But let's, uh, let's just pray. Uh,